Today on Crossroads and Culture, we're going to answer the questions of why the early church was devoted to prayer and why we should be devoted to prayer as well. And what does that look like? What does it mean to be devoted to prayer? That's today on Crossroads and Culture. Thanks again for joining me on this episode of Crossroads and Culture, where life, ministry, and culture meet. Now, if you've joined me on the last few episodes uh, of this podcast, you know that I've been talking about the practices of the early church that are not just descriptive of what they did, but also prescriptive. It's true for us as church today, I believe, that we are to practice these things that we read about in Acts chapter 2, where the early church gathered together and they read the scriptures, they studied the scriptures together, and listened to the apostles' teaching of the scriptures. They also fellowshiped together. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, which is the Lord's Supper, the a communion as well. Um, and now today we get to um, how they were devoted to the prayers. And when you read that in the text of Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42, the word prayers in the original language is plural. So the question becomes, well, what were the prayers? Rather than just prayer, what were the prayers? Was it prayers of supplication? Was it prayers of adoration, confession, thanksgiving? And and I think the answer to that is, yeah, probably all of those. But also it could have been part of their custom as well to pray the way that the, the Jewish people did in at 9 a.m., at noon, and at 3 p.m., now, I don't think they just held to that. I think that their lifestyle was one that was a lifestyle of prayer. Paul talks about this in his letters where he said to pray without ceasing. And what does that mean? That means that there should, I believe, be an attitude of prayer, that the posture of prayer for us should be an ongoing conversation with God, listening to God throughout the day. And so I think that's what Paul is talking about. So I don't think that we can say that they only prayed three times a day. Very well could be that they prayed during those times during the day, but I also think it was a practice. It was a lifestyle of the early church. So as we, as we begin to talk about the why, why were they devoted to prayer, and why should we be devoted to prayer, I think we need to admit the fact that, that prayer is not easy. Prayer really is work. It's, it's just like any relationship is work. It's devoting time to spend listening to God the Father and also sharing with Him the things that are heavy on our heart, the things that are on our mind, the things that we are struggling with, the things that we need direction for, uh, the things... Uh, for which we need provision. I mean, all, all of all of those things. But when we talk about prayer, I mean, focused, concentrated prayer. I think that's one of the struggles that we have within Christianity. And the reason I say that is because oftentimes when you hear about prayer gatherings at churches, it tends to be the least attended um, event or worship service that we have. And I don't know why that's so. I don't know why that's the case, except for that. I don't know that that's a practice that many believers, uh, and I'm speaking generally here because you may be completely devoted to prayer and your prayer life may be, I mean, on point, so to speak, where it is a discipline of your life. But I look at what's happening perhaps in, in many churches and, and it seems as though prayer is an afterthought. It's an add-on rather than a lifestyle. And, and I think when we look at the early church, this wasn't like, oh, we forgot to pray for the meal. Who's going to pray over the unleavened bread? I mean, I don't, I don't think that was, 
I don't think that was what they were dealing with. It doesn't mean that they didn't struggle at times with prayer being a lifestyle, so to speak. But I believe we generally see this, not just in the book of Acts, but throughout the New Testament, that we see that the disciples, uh, the apostles, they were praying. In Acts alone, we see no less than 20 times um, prayer and them praying together. So it's woven throughout the book of Acts, but I also see that it's very much uh, in the New Testament uh, letters and books that are written for us. So today we're going to talk about why, why, why were they devoted to this and why do we need to be devoted to this as followers of Jesus? You know, there's when we think about prayer, I, I, I know sometimes it's for me it's it's hard at times just to focus on prayer, and and I and I believe that, that one of the reasons is because we're so easily distracted. We I mean we live in a world that are that's full of distractions where it seems next to impossible to have moments of silence and find you know places of solitude, and some of those distractions are internal and, and they come from within. And then there are also distractions that are, are external, right? I mean, we can't go today anywhere for the most part, whether it be a restaurant, a grocery store, wherever it may be, and there's not music playing. Or, I mean, even going to a gas pump, now they've got these, these screens where you're hearing the news, you're seeing the weather, you're, I mean, all these sound bites. And it's like you can't go anywhere to, and get away from the noise of culture. And if that's not enough... You've got a lot of stuff going on in your own mind, in your in your own heart, and that resonates oftentimes even more loudly than the things that are in culture. So it's so we live in this world that's full of distractions. Um, there is a, a guy by the name of Tristan Harris, and some of you may be familiar with this, but uh, there was a documentary on Netflix that was called uh, I think The Social Dilemma, and we had watched it, and, and man, it was incredibly eye opening and revealing. Uh, when we watch this, Tristan Harris is—he's the the, the the co-founder and the president of of an organization called Center for Humane Technology. And what they're trying to do is to kind of shift um, where human technology operates for the common good and strengthens our capacity to 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 tackle or address the biggest uh, global challenges. And one of the things that he talked about in this documentary called uh, "The Social Dilemma" is how companies and businesses, they're vying for the attention of their customers. It's, it's especially true on social media that, that they want your attention. It's, it's known as the attention economy. Uh, and that word came up, was come up with by um, uh, a guy by the name of Herbert, Herbert Simon. Uh, that's his name. He is a Nobel laureate. And he, he came up with this phrase called the attention economy um, years ago. And he made this statement, I think is incredibly insightful, where he said that a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. And I think that is so true. We, we live in a day and an age where information continues to increase. It doubles, I mean, exponentially increasing over just a matter of days, not a matter of years. And we have this wealth of information at our fingertips. I mean, literally getting our phone out that, that we can find anything we want to, um, and just a wealth of information. And his point is that a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. And it's so true. It, it's it, We see that. And, and so when we think about praying and having focused prayer, that really seems somewhat impossible in a time where there are so many distractions. So, so the question becomes, how do we 
How do we get to a place? Is there a rhythm that we can find? Is there, is there something that we can do where we're able to focus our attention uh, on God and spending time with Him in prayer, or even reading His Word, anything that's of the spiritual disciplines, that would allow us to, in the midst of all the chaos in our world, be able to be present with God fully, to experience His presence? Is there a way for us to do that? And I think there is a way. I believe that the apostles and the disciples that we read about in Acts saw this because they they saw it modeled in the life of Jesus, and they began to practice what they saw Jesus do when he had lived, walked with them in this time of ministry before he had been crucified, buried, resurrected, and ascended to the Father. So I think there's some things we can learn from this. We're going to talk about that um, today on this episode of the podcast. Uh, there's a, a theologian whose name is Ronald Rollhauser, and he he made this statement. He said, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. I think that's very insightful as well. Blaise Pascal, who lived between 1623 and 1662, he said this. So back back in the day, he said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Now, this was back in the 1600s when he, when he made this statement, and I'm thinking, man, what would, he have, what would he have thought had he lived in today's culture in this, in this attention economy um, that we live in where everything, every person, every business is vying for your attention because your attention, capturing your attention equates to dollars for them specifically. In the same way, we have an enemy who's doing everything he can to distract us from giving our affection and our attention to God. And one of the ways that we're able to fight against that is by spending time with God in prayer, that he would direct our attention to himself, that he would stir our affections for him, that he would give us wisdom in decisions that need to be made, that he would help us in relationships, that he would help us fight against the evil and the temptations that come, that he would um, supply our needs that he would be our provider. God is inviting us into this conversation with him that is birthed out of a relationship that we have with him through Jesus Christ. And so prayer is one of these crucial spiritual disciplines that we see the early church devoted to and we need to be devoted to um, as well. We see this modeled really in the ministry in the life of Jesus right, where, where really his ministry began, where he went into the wilderness, where he was led by the Spirit to be tested by Satan. We see that in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13, all the way into chapter 4, verse 4. Um, he would oftentimes find himself in these desolate places, these lonely, quiet places. The actual word in the Greek is aremos, and th- it means that in the in all of his the, the frenzied pace of pace of ministry that he would often find himself in, um, that he would withdraw to spend time with his father in prayer, and. The disciples and the apostles remember this. They knew this. And as we read scripture, we see this. And so it seems like that when you look at the life of Jesus and his prayer life, there was silence and solitude in prayer. It's like those three disciplines were inseparable. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about silence and solitude in the sense that you may think of in New Age thought, where you start centering your mind, centering your soul, all of these things that we hear that's more... Um, 
kind of new age thought or new age language. That's not what this is where you become a better you. This is where you are asking God to quiet your mind, quiet your heart, so you can focus in on hearing from Him. And the way in which we do that is that you have to intentionally eliminate distractions. And that's not easy to do. That means putting your phone aside and not not letting it rule your day and your life. And you can look at statistics and it seems as though that's really what's happening. I mentioned Tristan Harris in his documentary called The Social Dilemma. He also has his website and would encourage you to go to that because it has a wealth of information that I think would be helpful for you. Um, and, and if nothing else, eye-opening to see how much um, our phone really does take our attention and really even our affections because what we give our attention to, we often give our our love to. And so, um, but but when we look at our phone and technology, it really can be an unholy distraction. I know, I know some people out there and they're saying, well, it could be used for good. And I get that. Sometimes I think we, we use that phrase to justify our activity on, on our phones. That's probably another podcast. But the point I'm getting at is, is that you have to intentionally eliminate distractions. And what that means is quieting your heart and your mind so that you can hear clearly from, from God. You know, I'm, football season's coming up. I mentioned, I think, that in the last episode. I love football. I love sports. And, you know, if my wife is, when she wants to talk with me, you know, she knows typically that if if she's trying to talk to me during a game, then I'm probably not going to hear well. So one of two things either have to happen. I either need to pause the game and give her my full attention because in doing that, what I'm doing is I'm eliminating distractions. Uh, sometimes I have to even pause it, step out of the room because I'm wondering what just happened in that screenshot that's paused there. Um, did we really fumble or or not? Uh, so I may have to step away from the room or what my wife will do oftentimes is wait till the game's over with or until there's a commercial um, so that I can be fully engaged. Quieting our heart and our mind so we can hear clearly from God means that we have to give really intentional focus to him. John Mark Comer wrote this. He said, distractions create a barrier to being present. And in doing so, it, it's robbing us of our soul. And, and that's so true. Maybe you've seen this in restaurants. Maybe you've practiced this in restaurants before, and I'm not meaning in a good way. But I, I've gone into restaurants before when, when my wife and I have gone on a date, and we'll see couples, people at the table, and they're not engaging in conversation with one another. Each of them has their phone out. And it's like there was one couple in particular we saw a while back that they both had their phones out, and during the whole time that they were waiting for their food, they didn't put their phone down at all. And even while they were eating, we saw them occasionally picking up their phone and looking at their phone. I'm thinking, you, if, I don't know if this is a date night or not, but, but put the phone down and engage in dialogue and have, have a good conversation and good food. What happens is distractions, whether it's technology or it's anything else for that matter, it's not just your phone and it's not just technology, it's other things too that can become a barrier to being present. And when those barriers happen, it robs us of our soul. So we have to be intentional and be consistent in eliminating distractions so that we can ready our mind and our heart to hear clearly from God. The the other part of that is I think you have to invite the Spirit of God to search the deep recesses of your heart and mind because the things that often will clutter our heart and our mind are the things that that we don't see that are distractions that are external, they're internal. That's one of the reasons I believe it's good for us to pray Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. And you've heard me say this over and over and over again on this podcast, 
But I think it is so it is so relevant, it is so true, it is so good, and God has given this to us, his word, as a gift, uh, really a gracious gift to us. But in Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, you remember David writes, he says, God, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And if there's anything in me that's not right, that's not of you, that's hurtful, that's wicked, he's David's asking God, God, would you show me this and lead me in the way that is everlasting, the way that is right, that's good. And the reason we need to pray this and ask the Spirit of God to search the deep recesses of our heart and our mind is because we're never as honest with ourselves as we would like to think. But God speaks truth for our good. He's gentle, he's kind, he's safe. And so in in intentionally eliminating distractions, we need to we need to quiet our heart and our mind and, and find a place where you're not distracted. And I don't know where that is, but but whether it is a prayer closet or it's a room in your house with the door shut, or it's out in the woods walking, whatever it is. It's on a bike ride. It's taking a walk somewhere. As you eliminate those distractions, invite God's Spirit to search the deep recesses of your heart and mind and showing you those things that may be the internal distractions that are, keep you from, that are keeping you from hearing from God uh, or that's, that's keeping you from giving Him your full attention and your full affection. And when you do that, you're able to create space for focused prayer with God is to say, God, I really want to focus and pray to you, and I want to have a conversation with you. So when we withdraw like Jesus did, right, to the Aramos, it doesn't mean you have to go find a desert somewhere, but what it does mean is find a place that is limited in its distractions, where you eliminate those things, so that you can focus prayer, have focused prayer with God, I love what Mark verse uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 35 says. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, speaking of Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. That word desolate is the word eremos. And, and so uh, it's, it's where it is alone. It's quiet. It, there's no distractions. He also said in Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through, thir- through 32, Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Mark chapter 6, verse 45, it picks up again to verse 47. And Mark says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. So again, we see Jesus being intentional at finding these places, withdrawing from the crowds, withdrawing even from his disciples to spend time praying. And Luke tells us in chapter 5 or 16, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Luke, there are nine stories where Jesus would go to the Aramos, right, to pray. Um, And so if that's what Jesus did, how much more do we need that? I mean, if Jesus genuinely desired to spend time with his Father uh, and he needed to spend time with him, how much more is that true for us? And I really believe, going back to the early church in Acts 2, they understood this. They saw Jesus model this, and in the culture in which they lived, uh, where there was persecution uh, that was taking place and it would continue to ramp up throughout the book of Acts, they needed that time with the Father. They needed to spend that focused time with God through uh, by the Spirit with Jesus as our intercessor because God's Word says that Jesus intercedes on our behalf, which that should blow our mind that Jesus is praying for you right now and He prays for us. Um, they recognized and saw that as a rhythm 
that existed in Jesus's life, his longing to spend time with the Father, that that probably encouraged his disciples to ask Jesus to teach them to pray. You, you may remember that, right? It says in Luke chapter 11 and other gospels as well, but specifically in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, um, they said now, it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, now prayer is simply... It's an ongoing conversation with God. I know sometimes we think we have to fold our hands and bow our heads and close our eyes, and, and that may be part of your posture of praying, and that's absolutely okay. I don't think there's a problem with that. But I also know that there are times that I'm out walking, my eyes are open, because you know when you walk, it's good to have your eyes open, or I'm driving, and it's certainly good to have your eyes open when you're driving, and I'm having this ongoing conversation with God where I talk to Him, and God listens, not because He's obligated necessarily to do so, but He's a good Father. And he wants to, he listens, he desires to listen when we talk to him. But also, God talks to us as well. He speaks to us by his spirit, and he will primarily speak to us through his word, um, by his spirit, through his word, but also through other believers, um, through circumstances and situations. And, and we listen. And, and so in that, God, God uses a variety of things to speak to us, but primarily he has spoken to us, according to Hebrews, through his son, and he's also spoken to us by his word. And when we are praying and we're listening, the Spirit of God is going to affirm and confirm what is from God the Father. And, and oftentimes, God will use his word to affirm what his Spirit is saying in us as we're praying to him. Now, we see kind of the template for prayer in the gospel, specifically in the Lord's Prayer. So in Luke chapter 11 or Matthew 6, um, and you may want to, you know, take a picture of, of of the passage of scripture, you know, where you constantly have that with you or have it on your Bible app. And I'm gonna explain that in a moment because I think we need to be very careful with our Bible apps because the difference between spending time in God's word and opening a copy of the scriptures is that we're not getting all of these notifications of the likes that we just uh, of the photo that we put on Instagram or or getting notified by Snapchat or or TikTok or Facebook or whatever else. There's so many notifications that go off on our phone that we will find ourselves once again distracted. I saw a study once that said that that every time you pick up your phone when you're in the midst of doing something, when you're in the middle of doing something and you pick up your phone to look at a text, an email, a notification, whatever it is, that once you put your phone back down, it takes you 11 minutes to refocus on what you were doing before. Can you imagine how many times we pick up our phone and then how much time it takes, 11 minutes, just to say on average, to refocus our attention on what we've been doing? Man, we're wasting a lot of time. Um, so that being said, you know, I would if you use a Bible app, man, I... I'm not saying you can't, obviously. I'm not the authority in this. But what I will tell you, and I think if you're going to be honest with yourself, that it's so easy for us to become distracted because we want to see what that like is. We want to see what that comment is. We want to see how many people have liked our picture or whatever else, that we're fighting against all of the notifications. But when we open a cop copy of God's Word in Scriptures, when we're spending time with Him uh, in our devotional time or just spending time with Him, and I would say even when you are sitting in church in a worship service, I want to strongly encourage you to open the copy of the scriptures because, um, again, you're not distracted from anything else that's coming up on your phone. Now, you've got the choice to make on that, obviously. No condemnation from me. Um, I'm just saying, I'm just trying to help because I think if we're honest again with ourselves, we would see that it takes us from being intentionally focused to becoming uh, distracted with unholy distractions. So, 
back to what Jesus did. He gave us a template uh, for praying in, in really Luke chapter 11, Matthew chapter 6. We see this in other gospels as well. Um, and you may want to practice this as a guide of how do you pray. And, and, and I think that the disciples, the apostles, more than likely used this as the template because they asked Jesus, how do you pray? And Jesus said, here's how you pray. So I'm just going to walk through a few of these things that goes through the Lord's Prayer, and then from this, you can you can pray about, discern, what is the rhythm of prayer for you? Um, so Jesus starts off in the prayer in, in Luke 11. He says, Our Father, which really for Jesus was adoration and thanksgiving. Um, and for us, as we, as we say to God and address Him as our Father, we're, we're, we're giving Him adoration. Um, and really there's thanksgiving that comes with that too. So for example, we're thinking on God as our good Father. Now I know for some of you, perhaps, and, and I hate this, I really do, that, that when you think of a Father, that, that good things do not come to mind. But the, the grace of God, the goodness of God, is that he's, He is a perfect Father. And so when we think on him and we say, God, you are our father, we're coming to him knowing that he is faithful, he's good, he's near to us, he's a comforter, he's loving, he's gracious, he's perfect in all of his ways, he's, he's kind, he's protective, he's a giver of all good things. He wars on our behalf, he fights for us, he's truthful, he disciplines us as sons and daughters. And yes, although you may not feel like discipline is something that's good and loving, it is absolutely good and loving. He disciplines us for our good, um, and he's exalted above all. So so in your time of praying, just take time to adore him, rather than just rush ahead and give him a, a laundry list of things to do. And, and trust me, look, there are times when I've gone to God, and the only thing I really could get out of my mouth was, God, just would you help me? That's it. But I would say we should make it a practice where we adore him. It, it, it shows that we're honoring him in his rightful place. He is God. There is no one above him. And so take time to adore him. Thank him that he's your father. And then just take time to listen um, as he speaks to you, as your father speaks to you. Man, it's so good when your father, specifically God the Father, speaks to you and shows you things that you long to know. It may be a decision that you're trying to make about work. It may be a decision you're trying to make personally uh, in your family life. You may just need to hear words of encouragement, and the Father's wanting to encourage you. But it's hard to hear from Him. It's hard to let Him fill you up with His with with all the truth, the goodness, and uh, that He wants to pour into you when you're constantly distracted and moving around. One of my uh, mentors from years ago um, had had written some curriculum and he used this illustration about taking your car to a gas station. And, you know, back in the day they had full service gas stations where they would come out and attendant would come out, fill up your car with gas, you know, would clean off your windshield, check the oil, all that kind of stuff. Now it's like, do it yourself. So, uh, but, but they would have those and, and it would be like taking your car to a full service gas station and you roll down your window and you're making circles around the, the gas pumps. I know it sounds weird and you would, you would absolutely be weird in doing this, but your car is on empty and it's about to run out of gas. And you say to the service attendant who's there to put, to put some gas in your car, as you're driving around in circles, you yell out the window, fill it up. And your gas cap is open but you're not stopping long enough for the gas attendant to put gas in your vehicle. Now, if he tried to put gas in your vehicle, you would get nothing in your tank because there's no way the gas would go into the tank as you're moving. 
And oftentimes we want to hear from God and we ask God, God, what do you want me to do? God, what are you saying to me? And all the time we're circling the gas pump. We're in such ro- we're in such motion. We're so busy. Our attention, our affections are somewhere else, but we're asking God to show us something or to speak something to us, but we're not taking time long enough to sit still and adore him as Father and just listen to him as we speak to him. And then next we see Jesus honoring God, acknowledging God as being holy. He says, hallowed be your name. That's, that's another form of adoration and acknowledging God in his holiness, that there is no one like him, that he's completely pure, perfectly holy. His character and name are like no other. There is no one who is his equal or can compare. His name is set apart, yet, yet as a child of his, you bear his name. He's chosen you and he's called you to himself. Even in thinking through those things, my my question becomes, why wouldn't I want to spend time with my father in prayer? Why wouldn't I want to spend time set apart, undistracted, and just reflecting on him because of who he is? And then just rest in the glory of his presence, practicing his presence, that there's no distractions that would keep us um, from from focusing on him specifically. It, it's kind of interesting because we talk about getting distracted so easily. And we have a German shepherd, and she's just a pup. She's about five months old. Her name is Shadow. And we just got her back from obedience uh, training. And she was gone for like six weeks. You know, my first thought was, she's not going to know us. And so we get there, and she absolutely knew us. Um, and we got her back. And the before we, we sent her, she was like, I mean, all over the place. Anything that moved, she was, I mean, looking at. She wasn't focused on me uh, when I was trying to tell her something. I mean, she was like all over the place. And we got her back, and there were tools that we were able to use and commands that got her to focus on us and give us her attention. And, man, it's been night and day. It's been so good. But I will tell you, I'm oftentimes like what my pup was before she went to obedience training, that I was, everything was distracting me. And the one thing that I've tried to learn, and I'm learning even more and continue to learn it and will continue to learn it until the day of Christ, is what it looks like really to rest in God's presence, to give him my attention and my focus because he's worthy, he's holy, and I want to hear from him. There is no one else. There's not a notification, a comment, or anything that I would be able to get from my social media feeds or whatever, um, or anybody else could say that I'm talking to on, a, on the phone or a text I receive or just in conversation. There is nothing else, nothing that anyone could say that is more important than what God wants to say and me just resting in his presence and hearing from him. That's why when we talk about being devoted to prayer and why the apostles and the disciples, the early church, they were devoted to prayer was because they recognized this, I believe. And they weren't perfect in it, but they saw Jesus model this, and so they began to practice these things. Again, you see over and over again in the book of Acts where they are praying, and they're, they're coming together to pray, and they're believing God in what they're praying. So, Jesus acknowledged his father's holiness, but then also he prayed this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now in Matthew 6, it it kind of extrapolates that a little bit more. And what that means is that we're praying and saying, God, your kingdom rules, that his kingdom is where Christ rules and reigns. His kingdom is within us as believers when Christ is ruling and reigning in us. 
uh, I, I remember going to, to, to the UK and I went to Windsor Castle. And while we were there, the queen was in residence. And there is a, a different standard or flag that is raised whenever the queen is in residence. And so when I think about that, what is it about our life that says that the king, Jesus, is in residence in us, that he rules and he reigns? And that's really what Jesus is praying when he says, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So one of the things we could pray is asking for God to let his kingdom come and his will be done in my life personally, in your life personally, in your home, in your city, in our nation, in this world. And how God wants to use us. And we can't be distracted when we're praying this and listening because God may God wants to show you how his kingdom can come and his will be done in your life personally. And as you live in your neighborhood, in your home, in your workplace, wherever it is, how Christ can be seen in you. Be specific in what you pray and then take time to listen to what the Spirit says. Jesus goes on to say, give us each day our daily bread. That's that's really what's called supplication or petition, that we're asking God um, for certain things. We're asking him to meet our needs. We're praying for other people. We're praying for other situations. And so one of the things we, we can do, even in our prayer time, is, again, rather than taking a laundry list to God and just praying this and kind of leaving it there and saying, I'll pick it up on Tuesday, we're really we're, we're, we're walking through this template. And you're going to find that when you do this and it becomes a practice of your life, a spiritual discipline, that you're going to spend time with God in prayer that is, that is just incredibly good. I mean, it's going to be nourishing to your soul. And that's what prayer is. When you spend time in God's presence, you come away filled more with His Spirit. You, you, you come away um, encouraged, nourished, um, strengthened in your faith. So when we ask God to give us our day, our, each day in our daily bread, Think about how God has provided for you in every way. Sometimes we just rush through the day and we don't even remember all the things that God has done and how he's provided. But if you were to sit down, even after you get done listening to this this podcast and you kind of list out the things that God has done and how he's been faithful, you're going to see that God's promise is true. David wrote this. He said, I've been both young and old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. God is always faithful. Paul talks about this. He said, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God provides for our needs. He doesn't always provide for our wants, but he always provides our needs. So ask God to meet specific needs in your life. Maybe you're in need of wisdom. You're in need of encouragement. You're, you're in need of, to persevere in very difficult situations. Maybe you're needing God to strengthen your faith. I mean, there have been moments where I've said, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Just like we see in the scriptures, the man who was asking Jesus to help his unbelief. Maybe that's your prayer. Maybe you're asking God specifically for financial help that help that will pay a bill. Or maybe there's something going on medically. Maybe you're asking God to heal, bring healing to you physically. And we believe God does that. His scripture says that, but he's going to do what he wants to do according to his will. And we should be good with that. But we ask him nonetheless. And then thank God that he's faithful to meet our needs. Again, he's always faithful, that, that he's faithful in his provision. And, and we see that because God has been faithful in his provision for us in what we needed most in his son Jesus, right? We needed most to be set free and rescued from, from sin and from death. And so God provided for us in his son Jesus. So God is faithful in his provision. And then maybe in petition, when you're praying for other people, pray over those people that, that, that God has put on your heart by name. Pray specifically. In Acts, when Peter was in prison, Peter and John, uh, I, I would think without a doubt that when they were praying, because it said they came together to pray, 
and it was as Peter was imprisoned, I can't help but think that they were praying specifically for Peter and those who were imprisoned. So I, I would say pray over those in, in need by name. Paul, he would close his letters by saying he was praying for certain people. And pray, for, pray specifically for how you can be the hands and the feet of Jesus in meeting those needs. Right? You can, you can pray for God to meet needs, but maybe that God's moving you and wanting to work in you and through you to be his hands and feet, so to speak, in meeting those needs. And then take time to listen again to who and what the Spirit is bringing to mind. A, a couple of more things that Jesus would pray, and he said, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So this is where we, we, we get into a time of confession with God that we're asking him to show us the things in us, any unacknowledged or unconfessed sin in, in our lives, in, in your life specifically, in my life, that we're saying, God, would you show me some things? There's some things that are obvious. We know where we have sinned against him. And there's some things that maybe we've done, and maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it was a statement that we made that was, that was not really sensitive, right? I mean, and I know we live in an overly sensitive world right now, but I'm really saying, ask God to show you what are some things maybe you've said where you need to go to someone and say, you know what, I, how I said that didn't come out. I don't think it came out right. And I, I just want to say, I'm sorry. That wasn't my intention, but I'm sorry for how that may have come out or how that came across. Or there may be some things that you know without a doubt. You know, God has shown you, God, God has shown you, but you know, you've been convicted of sin and you confess that. And, and then just take time to listen to the Spirit of God because He's gentle in his correction, uh, it doesn't mean that it's painless because it's painful when we see the things that we've done that have wounded and hurt the heart of God and even hurt others as well. But ask God to show you any un- un- unacknowledged or unconfessed sin in your life and then agree with God um, about your sin. I mean, you're acknowledging, God, you're right. You call this sin and I agree that this is sin. I think we've gotten away from that a little bit because there are things that God clearly calls sin in his word that in our culture and even within church culture that we're not saying is sin. It's like, "Mm, I don't know if that's really sin. And I could go down the list. We don't need to right now. But confessing means agreeing with God about your sin and then asking him to forgive you of specific sins. And as you do that, here's the beauty of, of our relationship with God as followers of Jesus. We can rest in his forgiveness. So it's so good. Ask God to help you forgive those who've wronged you and wounded you. That's not easy to do. That's why you, have to let, you need to let God do the work in you, and you can't really do that when you're distracted. You have to ask God to help you forgive those who have wronged you and wounded you, and some of those are really deep wounds, and some of those are really egregious wrongs. I get it. I've, I've been in that position where I have been wronged and wounded that way, but I've also been the one who has wronged and wounded others as well. So release them of the debt. You believe they owe you, but will never be able to pay you back, right? You, you need to release them of that. Because the, the, the truth is, and you may have heard this before, that, that you will either become bitter or better. And there, there's, there's no in-between. And when you hold on to unforgiveness, you're choosing to become bitter, not better. Because you're, you're affecting your heart and your life and your walk with God in Christ, um, not theirs. You've heard this statement before. It's when unforgiveness is like, is like you drinking the poison but expecting the other person to die. It doesn't make sense, and neither does unforgiveness. And you can't do that haphazardly. You can't do it on your own. You need to take time to let the Spirit of God comfort you, encourage you, and let Him work forgiveness in you and through you, extended to those who have wounded you. Because here's the beauty of the gospel: is that there is nothing that anyone has done to us 
that is more egregious than what we have done to Christ daily when we sin against him, things we've done in the past or even in the present and what we will do in the future. And yet God has willingly chosen to forgive us in Christ when we confess our sins, when we repent of our sins, turn from our sins, and we turn to him for the forgiveness of sin. 1 John 1, 9 is a great verse. You might want to look that up and let God encourage you in that. And here's the last thing I would say uh, that Jesus shows us when he prays, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, one of the things that we do in praying is we're asking God, God, would you help us not give in to temptation? Temptation's going to come, but as we're praying that, God, you would show us that your way's better, that what you have for us is much more desirable than what the enemy is trying to convince me that I need. Um, that's, you know, Jesus was praying for his disciples, and he said, pray that you may not be tempted. Pray that you be not given to the flesh. And there's a reason why we pray is because we want to follow after the heart of God and the ways of God because his ways are best. So what you might do is acknowledge to God specific areas you struggle with and ask him to deliver you from giving into temptation. And then pray for God to tear down any strongholds in your life where you've allowed the enemy to gain ground, whatever that may be. And then ask God to help you be aware of Satan's attacks, his tactics, his schemes, and then pray fervently against, against the enemy. Be, be on guard. Be alert. Because Peter writes about this uh, in, the, I think it's 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, be on, the, be on the alert because your enemy is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So as we're praying, we're asking God to show us his scheme, the, the schemes of the evil one so we'll know how to respond, not react. There's a difference. So why did the early church pray? Why were they devoted to prayer? I, I, th- I really do think it's because they, they wanted to spend time with God because they wanted to clearly hear from God by His Spirit and know His will and how to live in right relationship with, with, with God, with Him, and with one another. They, they wanted to follow His ways, and they lived in such a, a difficult day. And we do as well. Persecution was rampant then. It's, it's starting to become more so even in our culture here in the United States. In other countries, they're already experiencing this, being imprisoned for their faith in Jesus, being executed, killed because of their faith in Jesus. And so we need to know that, that as we're praying, we're asking God to show us how do we live in relationship with Him and how do we live in relationship with one another as well. So that's why it's so important for us to spend time in prayer and be devoted to prayer because if we're not spending time with Him, I don't know how we can move forward in the power of His Spirit, walking in His ways, because we won't know because we've not heard from Him. And don't let it just be a, a thing you do after your meals or before you go to bed at night. I would encourage you to have those moments that are specifically focused prayer times, but also learn what it means to pray without ceasing, as Paul says, the Apostle Paul, that you would be in a conversation throughout the day with God. Uh, And in doing that, I believe your relationship with Him is going to go deeper, and you're going to begin um, allowing God to cultivate that practice, that spiritual discipline in your life. And I, I know without a doubt, it will change your life. So, Just as the early church did, I want to encourage you, encourage myself, that we would spend time being devoted to prayer and knowing the heart of our Father. Well, thanks again for joining me on this episode of Crossroads and Culture. If you found this encouraging or helpful to you, if you would... um, Please share this on your social media platforms. Uh, share it with your friends. We, we pray that it will be encouraging to them as well. 
And lastly, as I shared on previous episodes, we're planting a church here in Conway, Arkansas called River Valley Church. We're a church of house churches. And if you'd like more information about what we're doing, what God's called us to, you can check us out online at rivervalleyconway.com, or you can follow us on Instagram at rivervalleychurchconway. Also, if you would like to support what God has called us to in planting this church, there's two ways you can do that. One is we would covet your prayers. We definitely and desperately desire uh, your prayers, praying for us, that God would continue to lead us as we seek to rediscover God's design for His church and making disciples who follow Jesus. But the second way you can support us as well is partner with us financially. There will be a link in the uh, the show notes of this podcast that you can go to and you can give a tax-deductible gift um, to River Valley Church. We would greatly appreciate that. Well, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to you joining me next time on Crossroads and Culture. 